But we have to die to ourselves. We have to give up control of our lives. And believe me, I don't like it. I'm a control freak. I want to have control of every part of my life. And I wrongly think I do. I don't. I have to give up that control. And there's this, this kind of seems counterintuitive to our human nature. Our human nature is to be self-controlled. And we do need to be self-controlled. We talked about that in Titus. But ultimately, all that I am and all that I do belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to me. You know, we stand in the midst of a brewing storm. When I was young, and, and, and probably, I guess, I still like to do it today, but mostly because my father would do this. Whenever it would storm, whenever we heard a storm coming, you know, most people, what do they do? They go into the basement, or they go in the inner room, someplace where they think it's safe. Me? No, I go out on the front porch. I'll go and stand in the driveway, and I'll watch the storm come in. As, I, as I'm sitting there watching the, the lightning and feeling the, the echo of the thunder as it clashes, I'm thinking, man, there's, there's power in that storm. And, and I love to watch the clouds and see how they're moving. Obviously, I'm looking for a tornado, some kind of rotation. I'm also an amateur radio operator, so I listen to what the other guys are saying because they're out spotting. But I don't, like to, I don't like to hide. I like to be out there. But there is, a, there is a storm that is brewing in our world today, and it doesn't give me the same kind of excitement as the storm does when I'm standing outside my house. The thunder that we hear rippling through the church today is, 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 is more of a, 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 ripple, a thunder of false teaching that's occurring. The flashes of lightning that are illuminating our skies in the church are deceptive doctrines, what Scripture calls doctrines of demons that are casting, a, instead of casting light onto things, are casting a dark canvas over our times. Now, in this, it's easy to feel fear. You know, like I said, I have no fear when I'm outside. I mean, now granted, if I'm standing there and there's, I see the lightning and instantaneously I hear the thunder, oh, I'm inside. Because I know it's close. And I, and I know it could strike me. But it's easy to feel fear in the church today because of what's going on around us, what's even going on inside of the church today. This, we have this sinking sensation that our, our faith might, might be swept away by the, by the torrents of the misinformation and the, the moral decay and the chaos that's swirling, swirling around us. Now, we may think that what we face today is new, that, that we are facing things that nobody has ever faced before. But I will be honest with you that the same things that we're dealing with today, the early church dealt with. The early church suffered the same challenges and the same environments that we find ourselves in. Remember, the same enemy of the church in the first century is the same enemy that you and I fight today. They committed the same sin, just different means of doing it. There's nothing, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And there's not. We do the same thing all the time. That same evil is the same one who tempted Jesus in the desert and tempts us to lose our faith. So we have 
Today, we're looking at the book of Jude. Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, which means Joseph was his father, Mary was his mother. So he's the half-brother of Jesus. And he penned this powerful letter during the first century that remains powerful today. It's very short. There's no chapters in the, in the book of Jude. There's only verses. That's how short it is. But he offers us battle cries into the, in the form of strategies for how we can be resilient in the storm that's brewing around us. So let's look at Jude verse 1. He says, Jude, he's identifying himself, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. One of the first thing I kind of notice in that is that we know that Jude is the half-brother of James, or the brother of James, James being, um, being the leader of the church in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts. He was also the half-brother of Jesus. So Jude is the half-brother, or the half-brother of Jesus, but the brother of James. But you notice that in verse 1, he doesn't say, Jude, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't throw his family relation around. Instead, what does he call himself? He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm all about the context. So the words matter, and the original language matters to me. You want to, if somebody says, well, what does this verse really mean? I'll say, okay, let's go back to the Hebrew. And I'll pull up my software because I don't read Hebrew. I'm trying to learn it this year, but I don't read Hebrew. I don't read Greek. So I pull up my software. I have no excuse for not understanding it because I have software that does it for me. So I pull it up and it tells me what it means. Well, this word servant, actually, the word is better interpreted as slave. Now, today, the word slave is not exactly a kind word. We, we kind of we wince at the thought of saying the word slave with the historical weight of this idea of oppression that we've attached to it. But the Greek word is definitely is doulos, which is the closest translation to slave. This is the same term that the, the Apostle Paul used. And most of the apostles actually used this term when he used to describe his relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, you know, Abraham was the friend of God. He doesn't say, I'm the friend of God. He doesn't say, I'm, he calls himself an apostle of Christ at times, but he doesn't say that all, all the time that I'm a friend, I'm, I'm a, I know God, I know Jesus. No, it's, he says, I am a slave to Christ. See, we can't, we can't look at this word and we can't place upon it our 21st century ideas and interpretations through this lens of what we call the historical injustice that was done to people. And believe me, if you didn't know this, there are more slaves today than there were during the height of the um, early Americas when we had African Americans as slaves. There are more slaves today in the world than there were then. Slavery hasn't gone away. But through the, we need to look through the eyes more of like a devoted house servant fight this today. A devoted house servant. Now think about this. A devoted house servant is somebody who, who's been given their freedom. They're allowed to leave, but what do they do? They stay instead of leaving. They choose to stay because of the love and devotion they have to their master. They're drawn by this deep bond of loyalty and love. And that's what what Jude is trying to say, that I have, yes, he's my brother, and I love him, because, but there's something deeper than that. 
if we are followers of Christ, we're believers in the salvation and the freedom that God has offered us, he has, he has purchased us, but not with coins. He purchases us with something much more precious than that. He purchases us with the life of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We, were not, we weren't just freely given to God. We, we, a price was paid for us. Even though God created us and we are his, he still paid the price for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us. So we, shouldn't, we, sh- we should not sin in our bodies. We should not sin against our bodies. We know this is true because look what the world does. The world tries to get us to sin against our bodies all the time. Look at the, look at the TV programs. Look at the ads on, on TV or ads on the, in the magazines. It's, it's intended to get us to sin against our body. But see, like a loyal servant, we must willingly surrender our independence to Christ. He's not a tyrannical Lord. He's, he's a passionate, loving God. He desires for us to serve him and to love our Heavenly Father. We, we must recognize who is our true master and king. Oh, we like to think that we're master. I'm master of my universe. <laughs> no, we're not. We're slaves to Jesus Christ. We're not masters. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the king. He's the one who holds not just dominion over us, but he also infinitely loves us and sacrifices for us. So with our hearts wide open and our eyes are, need to be aligned with his will. This means that we have to daily die to ourselves, And that's what Jesus means is take up your cross daily. We need to die to ourselves daily. Well, I want this. Well, if that goes counter to what God wants for us, we need to not do that. But I want that. Doesn't matter what you want. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. But see, it's, it's not a... When, when we die to our daily desires, it's not forced upon us. I mean, it's a choice we make. We can go after our own desires. All we want. But that's the choice we make. And there are ramifications for everything we do. So we willingly surrender those things. We willingly don't seek those things so that we can, we can submit ourselves to Christ. And that is because, not because, you know, we don't weigh, oh, well, see, is this better than Jesus? You know, do we need to weigh that? No. No, it's because we love him so much. There's no doubt that we, what we want to do. Paul told the church at Galatia, he tells them, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We crucify our self-centeredness and allow the selfless life of Christ to blossom within us and to be flow through us, seeking his will in, in every part of our lives. Whether it's in our relationships or whether it's in our jobs or in our business, in everything we do, we should be seeking what God wants us to do.
Because we're going to find our greatest fulfillment and our greatest joy in honoring and glorifying the one who has set us free. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So why are we doing what we do? We do it for God's glory. Do we get glory in, in, in part of that? Sure. He'll share his, his glory with us. He does. I, you know, I go do something for somebody and, and they, they, they thank me for it. You know, that's kind of getting glory. And, but, but for me, I'm not doing it because I want them to thank me. And if they don't thank me, I'm still going to do it. I do it because it glorifies God. But we have to die to ourselves. We have to give up control of our lives. And believe me, I don't like it. I'm a control freak. I want to have control of every part of my life. And I wrongly think I do. I don't. I have to give up that control. And this kind of seems counterintuitive to our human nature. Our human nature is to be self-controlled. And we do need to be self-controlled. We talked about that in Titus. But ultimately, all that I am and all that I do belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to me. But see, if we, if we surrender to Christ, it's going to unlock greater and deeper joy than we ever could imagine. When, when, when I say these, there's things over here that are counter to God's will, and that's what I, my, in my body, in my mind, I, I want to do that. But I also know that there are much better things that God has planned for me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. What God has planned for those who love Christ Jesus. I mean, there's nothing better than what God has planned. I just can't see it because these things are shiny and pretty. And I got squirrelitis. You know, I can't, I can't think of anything. If I see a squirrel running, I don't want to look at the squirrel. But I, I, I got I, I to remember that that stuff is temporary. As I said, the card's going to burn up. It's going to be gone. But God's word remains forever. These opening verses of Jude's letter, it's a beautiful and a very powerful picture of our relationship with God. And there are three key words that he uses in here. There's three of them. The first one is beloved. And then he uses the word, or called, I'm sorry, called. And then he uses beloved and he uses kept. So I want to explore each of these a little bit deeper. The first one is called. This, this refers to God's initiative of choosing us. It says that before the foundations of the earth, God chose us. He chose that we would be believers and what we would be as believers, we would be redeemed. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe that he cho- went and chose Caleb and he didn't choose Aiden. I believe he chose that this is how it's supposed to be, this is how it's going to be, then we as part of that, I'm a provisionist, by the way, that's what that's called, that God has provided a way for us to salvation. And whether we choose it or not is up to us. He gives us free will. We all have free will. And that's how it works together. But he chooses that this is what it's going to be. His initiation of choosing and inviting us into his kingdom. It's not that I get into this kingdom because I'm such a great person. I've told you this before. I'm not a great person. Believe me, if you really knew, if you really knew who I was, I'm not a great person. I'm, I'm not even a good person, because nobody's good but Jesus, but God. But I'm redeemed, and God is working in me. So I try to reflect him. I try to be more like him. So people say, oh, you're, you're a good person. No, I, I'm just trying to image Christ correctly. But it's not about our merit. It's not about our achievements. It's about this grace that Jesus gives us and the purpose that he has for our lives. 
Paul told the Romans in Romans 8, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This call, it takes many different forms. It may be a stirring in our hearts. When we hear the gospel, it stirs our hearts. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We, we read about the kindness of God and what he did for us, and it leads us to repent. It's that calling. It may be a personal encounter. You know, some people say they, they've come down to an altar, and they, they felt the presence of God, and they felt, and, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's, that's perfectly legitimate. It happens. Or it could just, just be this simple little whisper of his word. It could be that you're out in nature and you think you sit down in there and you're amongst all the trees and the mountains and the stream and you're hearing all the birds and you're like, there's a God. There's a God. That's the call. And in responding to his call, we need to have faith. Now, now, faith is hard because faith is the evidence of things unseen. You can't touch it. You can't hold it. There's, there's no, you just have it. And we need to ask for more faith. Remember the man who had a, had a son and, and he walks up to Jesus. Jesus, if you're able, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, if I'm able, he says, man, have faith. And he says, I have faith. Give me more faith. We need to ask every day for God to give us more faith. It also involves repentance. We must live lives of repentance. We must get up every day and say, Lord, I know there's things I didn't do that I should have done. Forgive me for it. And we don't beat ourselves up about it because when God forgives us, it's gone. No more. Don't bring it up again. If you do bring it up again, it may not be you bringing it up. It may be some influence from the outside, from the evil one, trying to discourage you. Don't, you, you, you've, you've committed your, your the sins to God, you're done. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west, they're gone. And then it takes daily surrender. Opening ourselves up to the transformative journey of following Christ. If you truly follow Christ, it's going to change your life. If you've been a Christian a long time and you're like, man, I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel like my... Because you've walked away. You're not completely turned away, but you're not listening to him. You're not following him like you should. Get back into the word. Spend time in prayer. Get around other people who are believers and talk about things. Talk about, have spiritual conversations. Start doing the things that God wants you to do. That's the call. Then he calls, calls them beloved. This speaks to God's deep and constant love for us. It's, again, not based upon our performance. God doesn't love you because you're good and because you love him back. No, he loves you. you know, he loved us while we were still sinners. He loved us before the world was even created. He loved us because he knew who we were going to be. It's based upon his own unchanging nature. And when he, because we are called his beloved, it tells us what our value is to him. I don't just walk around and call everybody beloved. Now, my son and my parents and Pete and my mom and Pete and my wife, and they're my real beloved, but you're my beloved too. I love you guys too. But there's something different because God says, you're my beloved. Because I know you, I know everything about you, and you're still my beloved. 
It assures us that the worth, we have significance in his eyes. It's a, it's, it's a source of comfort. If we know we're loved by God, it brings us comfort. Knowing that we are unconditionally loved. God will never leave us or forsake us. He's always loving us. We, we receive, we experience this love. If we're looking for it, we do that by spending time in his presence. How do we do that? We spend time in his word. Even if it's driving down the road and you, you know, like I say, you listen to it on a recording or whatever, or have somebody read it to you, whatever. You're spending time in his word. You experience. You do it, we do it through prayer. We do it through worship. That's why we sing songs. It's not just because we like to hear our voices and because we like to sing these songs. We sing these songs and we need to listen to the words and listen to what we're singing. You know, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Well, the very breath I have is his. That's why I pour it out to him, and I'm praising him in the process. It should give us an understanding that we are beloved because we're able to praise him. The third thing Jude says is that we are kept. This signifies God's protective power over us and faithfulness to preserve us through life's challenges and temptations. That doesn't mean that if I have, that the challenges in my life are going to be gone, they're going to be easy. No, believe me, the challenges in my life are going to be difficult because God is training us. He's teaching us and he doesn't, but he doesn't just say, okay, he doesn't throw us into the deep end of the water and say, swim. He gets in there with us. And remember, he can walk on water. He gets in there with us, and he walks with us through the water, through the deep end. It goes beyond just physical safety, but it also encompasses this spiritual and this emotional well-being as well as, as well, because think about this, we are in a, we're in a battle. We're in a battle that's not, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we can't fight that with swords or guns or anything. We have to fight that with spiritual armor that we have to put on every day. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shoes of peace. We have to put those on. How do we put those on? We put those on by being close to God, reading His Word, focusing on Him, talking to Him daily, constantly. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Yeah, Pray without ceasing. Doesn't mean you walk around all day, you know, praying out loud, but you're always thinking, okay, God, what do you want from me today? What do you, what, you know, I'm, I'm on my way home, Lord. What do, you, what do you want me to do tonight? Lead me. Thank you for what happened today and what the encounters that I've had. Thank you for allowing me to get this stuff done. Thank you for keeping me from being distracted by those other things that I should not have been doing. But it's also about surrendering our anxieties to him. I mean, we're a people, we, there's so many things we can worry about. Believe me, I get overwhelmed sometimes when I think about what's going on in the world, and I do deep rabbit hole dives into things. And I actually come out back out of the rabbit hole, and I think, well, God's got to take care of that one because I can't do anything about it. <laughs> we, we can't allow our worries and our fears to overwhelm us. We have to, allow, we have to surrender them to God. Let him take care of them. That doesn't mean we just walk around like Pollyanna saying, everything's wonderful. No, it's not. We have to be on our guard at all times. Because Satan's roaming around like a lion, 
roaring, waiting, looking for those who can devour. We've got to be on our guard. But we can't let it give us anxiety or fears because he's going to see us through it all. We cooperate with God by, by keeping and by staying close to him in prayer, living according to his word, and seeking a community of fellow believers who are willing to walk through those things with us. See, there's, these aren't just separate things. These are, these are all interwoven together. They're interwoven threads, being called, being beloved, being kept, are, are not just isolated concepts. They form a, I think of a, of a tapestry. If you, ever know, if you know how things are woven together in a loom, and you watch them, I've watched them, we've been in places where they make, make things with a loom, and it just it weaves back and forth. And that's what these things do, these words do, these ideas It forms this tapestry of God's embrace of us. And it weaves us together, drawing us into his family who he cherishes. And we have to cherish his love in the return. And he faithfully protects us on the journey. Now again, we're going to have troubles. There are going to be times when I'm going to trip, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to be covered in muck and mire. But God's going to lift me out. And he's going to help me through. The call leads us to be to be beloved. He calls us, and we are beloved, opening our hearts to this transformative experience of his love. And being beloved gives us the confidence to embrace the call. Believe me, it would be a lot easier just to ignore the call. Being a Christian is not easy in this world, and it's not going to get any easier. But we're being called. We're, being, we're beloved, and we're being kept. And it's in that being kept, we, in being beloved, we find fulfillment in being kept, allowing us to walk confidently through life under God's sovereign care. Verse 2 of Jude, he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Even in the face of the storm, we must not give in to panic. Lightning strikes close by. Yeah, I run inside just for my human safety. But guess what? The next time there's a storm, guess where I'm at? I'm out there again. Some people, when they see a storm, their heart races, you know, they begin to sweat, and they may have experienced some trauma at one time in their lives. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that or anything. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not valid. But understand that we need to have confidence in God. We need to, we, we need to, we need to have mercy and peace and love. And it's not just that we have that, but it's multiplied to us. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Actually, verse 2 of Jude is actually his first prayer. But it's not protection from danger. He's not saying, may God always protect you. But it's for an abundance of God's blessings. And we think, well, the abundance means that he's gonna, I'm going to have money. No, no, no. Abundance is mercy, peace, and love. Those are the abundance that God gives us. God invites us to focus on the goodness of him amidst all the darkness. While the storm is brewing, he wants us to focus on him, knowing that his grace is sufficient even in the most turbulent times. These verses are a very beautiful picture of spiritual growth. 
And while God gives us mercy and peace and love, we, almost, we also must take what God gives us and we must cultivate it in our lives. If he, gives us, if he gives us mercy, what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to show mercy to others. It drives me, it drives me literally crazy when I see Christians not giving mercy to other people. Got some instances going on around me that I know right now where I know people who are not given mercy where they should be given mercy. Shame on them. How dare they call themselves a Christian? And peace. God gives us peace. Well, we need to be making peace around us. We need to make peace with each other. And love. Greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. We must cultivate them in our lives. Mercy. We begin by recognizing God's immense mercy towards us. He forgave us. He sent his son to die for us. He, you know, we read in Scripture... When Moses, Moses has brought the people out of Egypt and they're standing there and they're, they're, he's on top of Mount Sinai and down in the valley, the people are worshiping a golden calf. And God says, I'm just going to destroy them and I'm going to raise up another nation through you, Moses. And Moses says, no, God, don't. Because then everybody will say, you just brought them out there to kill them. Have mercy on them. And he does. He has mercy towards us. He forgives our sins. He forgives our shortcomings, despite our mistakes. And guess what? When we make a mistake and we ask for forgiveness, and guess what? The next day we make the same mistake, guess what we got to do? We got to go back and ask for forgiveness again. Repent again. And we do that over and over again. And guess what? Every time he forgives us. You know the story. Peter asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven which is 490, but this was a big number they didn't quite, you know, that was, the idea was there's no end to how many times we should forgive each other because God always forgives you when you are repentant and you go to him and you ask him for forgiveness. There's no sin that anybody has committed that is so great that it can't be committed except for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Maybe sometime I'll do a sermon on that. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, which is what we should be too. <laughs> slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, again, it says slow to anger means he does get angry. We know we've seen places where God gets angry. I just was in Exodus. He got angry with Moses because Moses kept saying, I, can't, I don't have a good voice. I can't talk very well. And God was getting angry. It says God was angry with him. But we need to be slow to anger and steadfast in our love. And once we understand God's mercy towards us, we must cultivate it in others, with others, extending it. Because Matthew 6, 15 says, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We must actively engage in mercy. And then we have peace. When we trust in God's sovereignty, we can experience this deep inner calm. If I don't have to worry about my eternity... I can deal with my presence because I don't have to worry about my eternity. I get this calmness in my spirit about all the circumstances. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we're, 
When we're struggling with things, we must surrender them to God. We must lay them at His feet and we will have peace. We have to discipline our minds and our hearts through prayer, through meditating on His Word, reflecting on Scripture, quieting our anxieties, and surrendering everything to God's control. And when we do that, God's peace will radiate into us and it'll also radiate out of us to others. Offering calming words and a calming presence in the midst of chaos. And then there's God's love. His love for us is unconditional. It's not based upon our merit. It's not based upon... And it's infinite in nature. Paul says in Romans 5, 6-8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These three elements, mercy, peace, love, are not independent. They're interwoven and they strengthen each other. And as we grow in mercy towards others, our inner peace steepens and allowing us to love more authentically. And similarly, experiencing peace within fosters a more peaceful existence outside to others and a loving expression of mercy to those around us. And ultimately, all three expressions are over, from the overflowing love that God has for us. Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once at all delivered to the saints. Jude has an urgency here. He tells them not to retreat in the face of false teachings. There's plenty of them out there, even today. We can't retreat from We have to fight for the truth. That's why people say, well, we should just, you shouldn't tell people that what they believe is wrong. Oh, really? Scripture tells us we are to contend for the faith. As a pastor, I am to call out false doctrine. I am to rebuke people who are teaching false doctrine. But what does contending for the faith look like? It looks like we're protecting the truth. We have to focus on protecting the truth, not harming individuals. We don't tear somebody up and down because they're, they're teaching something incorrect. We try to restore them to bring them back into the faith. But we must firmly reject false teachings. We should also seek to understand those false teachings so we can engage in truthful dialogue, aiming to win back those who have been misled. Remember, this was the same thing Paul told Titus. He said, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they, must, they may be sound in their faith. We must understand the Bible is the ultimate authority. And we have to ground our arguments in clear, accurate interpretations of Scripture. Jude 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated... For this condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now these people aren't just blatant antagonists. They're, 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 they, they, they creep in unnoticed. They may, may seem like they're perfectly fine, but they come into the church and they're not. Their deception is cloaked in the subtle distortions of the truth. They twist God's grace into a license to sin. Like I said, God will forgive you. That doesn't give us a license to sin all the time. Paul says, should we sin more so that grace abounds more? Oh, heavens, no. We must stop sinning. But we always know if we do, if we do fall for the temptation that God is there to forgive us. 
but it doesn't give us a right to keep doing it. Because sooner or later, our souls will be seared and we won't be able to be forgiven because we've just turned from Christ completely. But these people are twisting God's word. It's a cunning nature of the storm we face. You know, you see a storm coming in and it looks like it's coming one way. All of a sudden it twists and changes and goes another way. It's deceptive. And then when it turns a certain way, a tornado comes down and touches down and does destruction. And that's what false doctrine does in the church. So how do we contend for the faith in this stormy season? We have to ground ourselves in Scripture so that we can be equipped with the knowledge of God's Word. We must be discerning and not accept every teaching that comes our way. Analyze it against the bedrock of Scripture, praying for wisdom to distinguish truth from error. Don't shy away from discussions about your faith. Don't, just because you think, well, I don't know. No, you, you need to tell people what you believe. And if they say, well, what about this? You can say, hey, I haven't looked into that. Let me go look into that, and I'll get back to you. There's nothing wrong with that. If, if, they're, if they are truthfully wanting to know things and wanting to have good discussions with you, they'll wait. It'll be worth it for them. But don't shy away from it. Do whatever you do in your discussions, do it with gentleness, do it with respect. And the whole desire is for them to understand. Not to make them feel wrong, not to belittle them, but to make them understand the truth. Remember, you're not in this alone. The church is the community of support. And you have the Holy Spirit. and You have God's word. We're a band of brothers and sisters who are united in Christ. The storm's going to rage around us. But we have to stand firm. We need to be rooted in God's love, equipped with his word, united in our faith, so that we don't get swept away by the storm. So we need to contend for the truth, not with fear, but with confidence that the same God who called us and loves us will keep us standing strong until the final dawn. Stand on the foundation of your identity in Christ. Seek God's blessings. Seek his mercy, his love, his grace, his peace. Ask for blessing of mercy, peace, and love. May God grant us the courage and the discernment to stand strong in the storms that we see ahead of us. Weathering the winds of deception, emerging not merely as survivors, but as victors. We are more than conquerors. May our strength be in Christ and our resilience of faith in the face of any challenge be strong.